Come here, cutie. Hey, come here. Harlem, New York, 1932. These are rough streets in tough times. But here, and in thousands of other cities, the business of vice thrives. The streets echo with jazz clubs. Working ladies lean slantwise against lampposts. Booze and drugs are as easy to find as a hunk of pie and a mug of joe. Few take notice of the 15-year-old at work here, running numbers and warning the working women when the cops are coming. Her mother was dead, and her stepfather abused her. She would be tossed in a reformatory where she would be beaten by guards. Yet, in a few short months, she would appear at an amateur night at the Apollo Theater where the world would learn of her gift. Bing Crosby would declare that, man, woman, or child, she was the best of them all. Richard Rogers said, whatever she does to my songs, she makes them better. Sinatra would simply coo, it don't get better than this. Somewhere there's music, how faint the tune. Somewhere there's heaven, how high the moon. Ella Jane Fitzgerald would transform jazz and humble the greats. It's said that, of all singers, no one could match Ella's gift for hitting a note dead center. To paraphrase the bard, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some might be found on the street hawking firewood. Like that guy over there, one Hiram Grant. Recently, he had quit the army where he languished as a quartermaster. In civilian life, well, you name it, he failed at it. Farming, real estate, store clerking, bill collecting. In his own words, poverty was staring him in the face. Yet, he had a genius that even he might not yet have realized. In less than two decades, he would lead the Union Army to victory over the Confederates under Robert E. Lee and be twice elected president, long since having dropped the Hiram from his name in favor of Ulysses Simpson Grant. Of him, Abraham Lincoln would offer one simple, powerful endorsement. I cannot spare this man. He fights. Hands up. In 1903, which of us would pay attention to that new assistant examiner here in the Swiss patent office? He's the German who had failed his university entrance exam, then had trouble finding a job teaching math. That was a problem. But then, Albert Einstein had a knack for working problems. And he knew enough about gravity to know he would land on his feet. The equation E is he would help shake the world, literally, with his outrageous notion that the energy within an object equals its mass times the speed of light squared. After Einstein fled Nazi Germany, a book was published to discredit his ideas, titled 100 Authors Against Einstein. Of the title, Einstein supposedly remarked, Why 100? If I were wrong, then one would have been enough. What do a teenage numbers runner, 
a Yankee street hawker and a lowly patent clerk have in common. All three help prove the adage that cream rises to the top. And no less so in the world of marketing, whose trends are set not by techniques and formulas, but by a handful of extraordinary people. This is a show about those rare, gifted few who rise up and who soar high above all others in my trade. They are the prodigies, the naturals, the savants, whose singular gifts change the way brands and ideas are conveyed, even the way the world communicates in the age of persuasion. I want chicken, I want liver. I want a bottle of Coca-Cola, need. That's us! Gracie, meet the boys! Hey, great. A toothpaste should fight cabbage. I can't believe I ate that whole brill cream. A little tabaluya. Brill cream. You look so nevertheless. And now, Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. There you go again. If I were to decide who's had the greatest influence on advertising over the past 20 years, and, after all, I was king of advertising once, my short list would have to include, not a person, but an agency, Wyden and Kennedy of Portland, Oregon. Maybe you don't know their name, but I guarantee you've met their flagship client, Nike. Here, we eavesdrop on an Accepting Your Superhuman Speed support group. The facilitator is played by Jan Hooks. Among the group are sprinter Michael Johnson, a FedEx delivery guy named Randy, and troubled Cleveland Indians base dealer Kenny Lofton. You are all abnormally fast, and that makes you feel different. Let's start with you. Tell me your name and why you're here. My name is Michael, and I'm fast. Uh, my name is Randy, and I'm fast. My name is Kenny. But I'm not that fast. Kenny, you stole 75 bases last year. You've got Zoom air in your shoes. Try it again, okay? My name is Kenny, and I'm fast, but not as fast as him. Kenny, we can't like you until you like you. We're all on your side. Then, the graphic. It's okay to be fast. There are so many gems embedded in that spot. The athletes are gathered in those awful, cheap wooden chairs in a circle. Yet they're all in their uniforms and sports kit. Then there's the body language. Johnson is sitting keenly straight, while Lofton, his eyes rolling, is slouched back and clearly in denial. When Nike founder Phil Knight first met Dan Wyden, his first words to Dan were, I hate advertising. Maybe he didn't realize. Dan Wyden grew up hating advertising, too. Together with Wyden's partner, David Kennedy, they seized an opportunity and changed forever the craft of persuasion. The Nike campaign has shattered a century of advertising convention. It was a brand, not of shoes or athletic stuff, but of attitude. You can easily believe a Nike ad doesn't sell a product but rather exuberance for life and achievement. A prod to do something with your life. Amaze people. Amaze yourself. No two Nike ads are alike. This shows a shirtless octogenarian called Walt Stack 
running across a city bridge on a glorious morning. I run 17 miles every morning. He's extraordinary, yet he could be us. Or, more properly, we could be him. People ask me how I keep my teeth from chattering in the wintertime. I leave them in my locker. Then, in white-on-black reversal, the rallying cry that pulls all of Nike's ads together. Just do it. For Dan Wyden, son of a marketing executive, advertising was the family business. Young Dan did everything he could to avoid it. When poetry, short stories, and screenplays didn't pay, he approached advertising as though it were science fiction. Then he met David Kennedy, in many ways his alter ego. Kennedy was more reserved, more disciplined. Together, they were industry outsiders. Their flagship work for Nike was fun, fresh, and all about a winning culture. First, they hitched Nike to Michael Jordan. And in time, superstars in every sport the Nike brand touched. In just a decade, the Jordan campaign helped Nike climb from 18% to 43% of the athletic shoe market. And Nike keeps itself fresh, relevant, and surprising. See if you can place the narrator of this Nike-sponsored biography. He was born in Basel, Switzerland. He started playing tennis at six years old. He could have been a soccer pro, but chose tennis. He once had a temper, but he found his cool and became a champion. His forehand is feared by all. He's the only player to win three majors three times. He's definitely the man to beat. His name is Roger Federer. He's won ten majors and counting. At 50 seconds, the tribute stops dead. Then... But my name is Tiger Woods. I have 12 majors and counting. So keep up, buddy. Keep up, buddy. A little trash talk from one superstar to another. But it could just as easily be Nike taking a competitive jab at its rivals. And just as easily, Wyden and Kennedy jawing at an industry whose entire language they've helped change. Writing in Advertising Age, Randall Rothenberg put it thus, Wyden and Kennedy made advertising safe for entertainment. And above all, they helped us realize that advertising pollution had no place on this earth. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the... Anyone? Anyone? Creative people and performers often fall into categories like Ben Stein, who, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, created the definitive, monotonous high school teacher. Anyone? Anyone? Raised tariffs. Often, in my industry, there are people with one unique gift, a one-trick pony. They can be writers, performers, and often directors. And none have graced the age of persuasion with a more distinctive, more disarming style than Joe Settlemeyer. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy. 
fun. Where's the beef? His visuals make everyone and everything seem to be standing up too straight. His absolute signature style was to hire real people, non-actors. I did some of my best TV commercials with him and learned humor from a master. His philosophy, he once told me, when you put normal people in an unnatural situation, they will struggle to maintain their dignity. This is funny. Those nibbit some hamburger places serve are actually processed chicken. Excuse me, but what was that in there? It's chicken. Chicken. Processed. But processed? That's like when they take a lot of chickens and assemble the respective parts. What parts? What parts? Different parts. Parts is parts. Wendy's chicken sandwiches. Pure. Okay, Eunice travel plans. I need to be in New York on Monday, LA on Tuesday, New York on Wednesday, LA on Thursday, New York on Friday. Got it? You got it. Got it. So you want to work here? What really makes you think you deserve a job here? Well, sir, I think on my feet I'm good at figures and I have a sharp mind. Excellent. Can you start on Monday? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Without hesitation. Congratulations. Welcome aboard. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And in conclusion, Jim, Bill, Bob, call Fred, load, dork, eight up and ten. Business is business. And as we all know, in order to get something done, you got to do something. In order to do something, we got to get to work. So let's get to work. Thank you for taking the meeting. Settlemeyer's ads dominated the 80s with his manic, humorous take on a Diane Arbus-like world. Working with Joe required you to strike a deal. Surrender control of the creative, of the tone the brand conveys. Settlemeyer would get it noticed, but on his terms. And Settlemeyer's spots always, always got noticed. Sure, Joe Settlemeyer was a one-trick pony, but what a magnificent trick. Disconnecting, gotta go dead, disconnecting. Federal Express. When it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight. The Wyden and Kennedys and Settlemeyers of advertising, and a choice handful of others, shape not only marketing, but our entire popular culture. But it wouldn't be right to take another step without turning to a man whose agency caused an entire multi-billion dollar industry to unlearn everything it knew about ad creative. My name is Terry O'Reilly, and this is The Age of Persuasion. On a mild October morning in 1982, Mourners packed New York's United Nations Chapel, where they'd come to honor the life of William Burnback, dead of leukemia at 71. An overflow crowd gathered outside. The marketing industry had never known such an outpouring. It was a complete contrast from the tone of the famous VW funeral ad his agency had created some decade and a half earlier. A contrast that could only have pleased one of the planet's great gentlemen. I'm Maverly, being of sound mind and body, to hereby bequeath the following. To my wife Rose, who spent money like there was no tomorrow, I leave $100 and a calendar. To my sons, Rodney and Victor, who spent every dime I ever gave them on fancy cars and fast women, I leave $50 in dimes. To my business partner, Jules, whose only motto was spent, 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 I leave nothing, nothing, nothing. And to my other friends and relatives who also never learned the value of a dollar, I leave a dollar. Finally, to my nephew, Harold, who oft-times said, a penny saved is a penny earned, and who also oft-times said, gee, Uncle Max, it sure pays to own a Volkswagen. I leave my entire fortune of $100 billion. Oddly enough, 
Bill Birnbach's unorthodox career had a central casting beginning. In the Depression, he worked in the mailroom at Shenley Distillers Company, New York. One day, he wrote an ad and sent it to the company's agency, Lord & Thomas, but heard nothing. That is, until he opened the New York Times one day to find his ad across two full pages, a double truck as it's known in the trade. In a time when being Jewish meant being excluded from the brass and glass towers of Madison Avenue, Birnbach found work at Gray Advertising. In those days, one of the few major agencies to hire non-WASPs. By the late 40s, Birnbach had turned down a princely $100,000 job offer and instead started a firm with Ned Doyle and Max Dane. All staff had to meet two strict requirements. They had to be talented and they had to be nice. The first big Doyle Dane Birnbach client was Orbach's, a New York ladies wear store. And M. Ornbach, as Birnbach would recall, used to become furious, not because his ads were bad, but because they were great. Here I've built this wonderful store, he would rant, and all people remember me for is my advertising. Fondly remembering Birnbach ads are something millions are still doing, even a half century later. Want to prove a piece of American tourist or luggage is tough? Put it in a cage with a gorilla. Then, in comic counterbalance, add a smart, fun, product-centered voiceover. Dear clumsy bellboys, brutal cab drivers, careless doormen, ruthless porters, savage baggage masters, and all butter-fingered luggage handlers all over the world. Have we got a suitcase for you? The Birnbach touch went well beyond iconic slogans and catchphrases. We're number two, but we try harder. Mikey likes it. And of course... I can't believe I ate that whole thing. You ate it, Ralph. It goes beyond making Chivas Regal the... Well, Chivas Regal of Scotch. Or using Juan Valdez to put Colombian coffee on the map. How can I describe ad creative before Birnbach? It's kind of like explaining what it was like to read at night before the light bulb. DDB created astonishing, smart, funny ads at a time when astonishing, smart, and funny were hiding in advertising's witness protection program. I had the advantage, Birnbach once said, of not knowing too much about advertising, and therefore I could be fresher and more original about it. As soon as you become a slave to the rules, you're doing what everybody else does. When you do what everybody else does, you don't stand out. On another occasion, he said, you can say the right thing about a product and nobody will listen. You've got to say it in such a way that people will feel it in their gut. Because if they don't feel it, nothing will happen. Bill Birnbach was the poster boy for nice guys everywhere. And who better to raise the bar on the language of persuasion? All of us who use mass media professionally, he said, are the shapers of society. We can vulgarize that society, we can brutalize it, or we can help lift it onto a higher level. Bill Birnbach was, and is, the altar we all worship at in the advertising business. And it was why I so desperately wanted to work at Doyle Dane Birnbach. And eventually did. 
and still keep one of my DDB business cards in a special place in my desk. His words resonate today, though not always as loud as they might. A day doesn't pass in my business where someone doesn't think, say, or write that Lee Clow resembles Jim Henson. When he was badgering Jay Shiat to hire him in the late 70s, he sent Jay an ad that said, Hire the Harry. Jay laughed and did. Even in his 60s, Lee's work clothes are cutoffs and flip-flops. He still surfs every day and has a perpetual white sunglass strip across his eyes. Lee's a soft-spoken man with 24-karat instincts. Lee has dominated his craft partly by understanding his limits. He once observed, I've never found a client's business problem that could be solved solely through advertising. Lee's winning touch helped create the architecture for a truckload of legendary campaigns. For Pizza Hut, California Cooler, and Adidas Impossible is Nothing campaign. Though, as creative director, Lee can forever dine out on one marquee credit. The ad that changed the business and begat the era of blockbuster Super Bowl ads. Today we celebrate the first glorious... Apple's famous 1984. And it's Lee Clow who's bird-dogged the Apple brand through its almost as famous modern incarnation, the wonderful PC Mac campaign. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. I'm into doing fun stuff like movies, music, podcasts, stuff like that. I also do fun stuff like timesheets and spreadsheets and pie charts. Okay, uh, no, by fun I mean more in terms of... For example, it'd be kind of hard to capture a family vacation, say, with a, a, a pie chart, you know. Not true. Oh? For example, this light gray area could represent hangout time, whereas this dark gray area could represent just kicking it. Yeah, no, I feel like I was there. It's more fun to be pirates, Lee Clowes said, than to be in the Navy. Well, he's got the grooming for it, and the attitude. The industry and pop culture will long remember Lee for a string of brilliant work. Me? I'll always appreciate him for one moment. When ad giant Jay Shiat once shook my hand and said, Nice work, Brian. It was Lee, bless him, who looked Jay in the eyes and said, His name is Terry. Really? Okay. Action. Originally we were going to have a bird in the uh, piece. And you just follow the bird as it flies through history. Take extraordinary people, feed them a diet of royal jelly, and they become Wyden and Kennedy, Joe Settlemeyer, Doyle Dane Burnback, and Lee Clow. Give them an OD of royal jelly, and the result? Pitka. I had to send our notes back to all the surviving Beatles and Yoko for their approval of the ideas. Joe Pitka. This is Joe on YouTube, describing how he directed the Beatles' Free as a Bird video, one of my favorite music videos of all time. We don't need to play a lot of samples of Pitka's work, because we already have. My name is Kenny, and I'm fast, but not as fast as him. Kenny, we can't like you until you like you. Pitka directed the Nike spots we played earlier, and most Nike spots we've ever played on this show. He directed most of the great Michael Jordan ads, so many of the celebrity Pepsi ads of past years, the sentimental epics for Hallmark cards, so many of the most memorable Super Bowl ads. 
Pitka makes big ideas bigger. He makes small ideas big. He can evoke emotion in a 30-second ad, a near-impossible trick in my profession. Every bit the lion, with his trademark scowl and imposing white mane, he's the king of big TV commercial directors, even atop such hustle names as Spike Lee, Terry Gilliam, Ridley and Tony Scott, and David Lynch. And his temper is the stuff of legend, as per this tribute film that surfaced on YouTube, a mock commercial for a Pitka action figure with account guy strangle grip. Pitka! Superpower Pitka! Want a great ad? The business is rife with excellent directors. You want a blue chip slam dunk in everybody else's face rent a truck to hold all the awards victory? If you can find him at his office in Venice, California, and you can afford him, there's just one guy to call. Copywriter sold separately. This is the worst commercial ever! If you want proof that advertising is not a science, but an art, consider that every time ads evolve for the better, when a new approach shreds the old industry playbook, it's always, always because of a person. A person who either blazed a trail with singular vision and courage, or who macheted through the dense jungle of mediocrity to create a clearing where other talented people could thrive. People like George Lois, David Ogilvy, art director Helmut Crone, the great Hal Reine, and a personal favorite, creative director Trevor Goodgall. They are not unlike Elisha Graves Otis, who not only invented the modern elevator, but more importantly, the elevator brake. For it was the brake that made skyscrapers possible. And that's the magic. The truly great make things possible. They are the Ellas, the Grants, and the Einsteins in the age of persuasion. The Age of Persuasion is created and written by Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant, who will rule the world, if only they can get a government grant. Engineer, Keith E. Oman. Super genius. I like the way that rolls out. Title theme by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. Geniuses, prodigies, savants. Just ask them. The Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by Pirate Toronto.